This is most certainly true. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He shines the light of his love into dark places, our world, our lives, our hearts. And his light chases away the darkness of sin and makes us to shine with his glory. And through his saving work, we will rise and shine to live forever in the glory of heaven. Behold the splendor of Jesus' love in this sermon recently delivered at Grace. These words will serve as the basis for today's sermon, the gospel according to Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Well, this is uncomfortable. I suppose you thought this was going to be a good sermon. You had your hopes set high on feeling warm and fuzzy on the inside and walking away from the sermon with a little Christian pep in your step. After all, you liked the intro 
to the sermon two weeks ago. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You had to wrestle with it a little bit, but when you came to understand what it means to be blessed and happy and fortunate in the Lord, oh, how it warmed your heart. And you liked the next part of the sermon too. That was last week. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Oh, sure, I can struggle with being salty in a bland world and letting my light shine out into the darkness, but what encouraging words. Oh, the fuzzies and the warmness are bubbling up inside of you. And then there was a transition. It was in the second paragraph of the gospel last week where Jesus made a transition in this famous Sermon on the Mount. After talking about being salt and light in the world, he transitioned into talking about how to actually do that. And Jesus said, I tell you, with the law and the prophets, not one little letter or stroke of the law is going to be done away with or disappear. And then he said these troubling words last week. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, hold on there, Jesus. You're saying that unless I'm better than a Pharisee, one of the religious elites who even invented extra laws and rules to follow, unless I'm better than that, I'm not going to enter heaven? That's like saying I need to be better than a Wells Lutheran who comes to church every single week and knows the liturgy by heart and has the catechism memorized and gives to the new building project and brings a dish to every potluck. How am I supposed to do that, Jesus? Well, I'm glad we asked. This week, Jesus continues in the Sermon on the Mount, and he tells us exactly what he means and exactly how serious he is about being salt and light who obey our God. And so this is now the part in the sermon, not mine, but his, where the warm and fuzzy feelings start to disappear and we start to squirm a bit in our seats. So buckle up, because Jesus is coming with both barrels of the law today. And he starts with the fifth commandment. These are the words we heard just a few minutes ago. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. But then Jesus explains what it means to keep the fifth commandment. It's not just staying off the nightly news or off of death row. Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which would be maybe like tisking at someone today, is answerable to the court. Or anyone who says, you fool, or in English today, maybe you dummy or moron, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Just because you come to church with a smile and give a warm handshake to people does not mean you keep the fifth commandment so well. Jesus is addressing the anger in our hearts. Like the anger at your neighbor who takes a walk every day and stops with his dog at your lawn 
and never cleans up. Ah! Or the anger of what you say about or to people online from the comfort of your own home hiding behind a screen or a phone. Or the beef that you have with that person you've cut out of your life for years. Or how you demean our president. Or the last one. Or the one before that. Or how brothers and sisters fight with each other and nitpick and little small things. Or what you say behind the back of your boss or co-worker. All of this is sin. Not just, ooh, slap on the wrist, but sin that puts you in the danger of the fire of hell, Jesus says. Oh, and by the way, while we're talking about anger, Jesus says, enough with all these personal problems. Stop what you're doing. Leave your gift at the altar. Maybe today we'd say, drop everything where you're at and go be reconciled with your neighbor, Jesus says. At a time when everyone is so eager to cancel someone else or block someone or as the teens today would say ghost someone or take advantage of someone go and settle your matters personally and privately and in love and just as we're starting to feel a little hot listening to jesus teach about the fifth commandment he has to go and talk about the sixth commandment next Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And at this, some wannabe Pharisees might gloat a little. Well, Lord, I'm I'm still with my spouse. I'm doing pretty well. Oh, really? Jesus tells us what it means to keep the sixth commandment. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or man lustfully has already committed adultery with that person in their heart. Oh, that's right. In a culture where the Super Bowl halftime show is anything but Super or PG, at a time when seemingly every other commercial or show or Netflix series or song is all about lust and jumping into bed with someone else, at a time when Every other billboard on the way to Chicago is inviting you to stop for triple X content or experiences. Or if you're just too lazy to get in your car, just open up your phone or your computer. At a time and in a culture and in a country where the average age for seeing triple X content now in America is roughly age 11. In a country where we laud and praise the beefy and the busty as being the sexiest people alive. Yes, even in that culture and country, Jesus says, one look of lust shatters this sixth commandment. God is so serious about this commandment and about purity that Jesus goes on to say, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If, if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. And to that we ask, well, does Jesus really mean what he's talking about here? And the answer to that is, actually, kind of. Now, on the one hand, pun intended, if you gouge out your eye or chop off your hand, the other hand or eye probably will lead you into sin too. It's really about what's in your heart. But Jesus' point in using strong language is do whatever it takes to stay away from sin. This is how he said it. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell because that's where sin leads. 
God is very serious about a commandment that we trash and trample on in America. And that's why it's also very hurtful to listen to Jesus talk about divorce in these words too for any and every reason without biblical backing for it. And in a country where 50% of marriages do in fact and in many families start without marriage in the first place, this is yet another stone from the slingshot of God's law that just nails us right between the eyes. And as we're staggering and reeling a bit, pondering the fifth commandment and the sixth commandment, Jesus doesn't stop. Now he goes to talk about our words and how it relates to the second commandment and the eighth commandment, misusing God's name and speaking false testimony about others. Maybe summarizing the whole paragraph, Jesus said this verse, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. There's no need for Jesus or Christ or Lord or God to find its way into our conversations as if we have no other exclamation points or vocabulary to use. There's no reason to swear to God or swear on your mother's grave as if nothing you say is ever valid unless you add something. The Bible says simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Any other kind of talk simply comes from Satan. Talk about a heavy hitter of a sermon. It's like recess at winter time and getting pegged in the nose with a frozen dodgeball. Ouch. This hurts. And there is no time, there is, there's no room for pretending we're such pious little people who put in their time to church. And I have a cross necklace too. Oh, a bumper sticker as well. Do you hear what Jesus says? Unless you keep the law to this utmost point, to the fullest extent, what does he say? You'll be subject to judgment. You'll be thrown into hell. You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And hopelessly we, we cry out, well, Jesus, what does it take? What do you want from me to be perfect? To which he says, perfect? Yes. Perfect. Because that's what it takes. That's what it takes to be in a right relationship with a God who is himself holy and perfect. What kind of God would he be if he's not? That's what it takes to be in a holy and perfect heaven. How would you fit unless you are holy and perfect? And so just a few verses after where our gospel ends today, the same Sermon on the Mount, about four or five verses later, Jesus actually does say, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh no, there are no warmer fuzzy feelings left. Rather, it's shame, embarrassment, and guilt. Like David, whose life just spiraled out of control in the first reading today, what a mess. What have I done? And yet what a relief and what comfort that you and I know who is preaching the sermon to us. This is not some flash-in-the-pan famous TV preacher raining down fire and brimstone that he, and he himself can't live up to. This is Jesus the Christ, the chosen one of God, the holy, perfect Son of God. 
the very one preaching this sermon with the full force and weight of God's law is actually the one who also said this last week, same sermon, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Jesus didn't come to do away with the fifth commandment, sixth commandment, second commandment, eighth commandment, or any other commandment. Oh, that's too hard. We'll just ignore that. Oh, no. Jesus came to fulfill them, to obey them to the fullest extent. And so he did. Imagine that. Not one angry thought out of place. Oh, there was righteous anger against sin. But not one angry word, not one vengeful thought, only patience and kindness and love. Even for those who hated him and murdered him, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And just as Jesus' thoughts and words and actions were only perfectly loving, so were they also perfectly pure. Imagine that. Not one dirty joke with the disciples in the cafeteria. Not one vulgar or inappropriate comment. Not one rather shady or inappropriate meme or link sent to the disciple group chat. Only total control, like Paul described in the second reading to the Thessalonians. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. And actually, if you look at all the times Jesus interacted with women, it was only the utmost gentleness and care and respect. And so also how Jesus used his words. Never once did he break a promise. Never once even a little white lie. The one who is the truth only spoke the truth. We together fall so often and so far short of God's glory, this is beyond what we can even begin to fathom. Perfect? Yes. Perfect. Jesus was perfect in every way and at every moment, and he did that for you. He did it so that you could be clothed and covered with a righteousness that is so foreign to you. He did it so that a holy God could look at you and me, pathetic and stained sinners, and see us covered over with the holiness and perfection of his own son. Oh, and about those sins, those things that we've done, the things that stain us, God doesn't just pretend they don't exist or sweep them under the rug like those icky little dust bunnies under the bed. God took care of that too. And it took a perfect payment. That's the other reason for Jesus' perfect life in this world. The first was so that he could live for you and do what you could not, taking your place. But the other reason was so that this perfect life could be laid down as the perfect sacrifice to pay for all your sin. God makes it clear the wages of sin is death. Jesus says there will be judgment, thrown into the fires of hell, cast out of the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus went to the cross and did it so that you wouldn't have to. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as the flames of hell went on his shoulders, not yours? Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Jesus was the perfect payment for sin. 
I think you know there are, there are many people in this world who just don't understand God at all. Some think he is so mean and angry, just a just, righteous judge who wants to punish, who hates sin. Others say, well, he's just a loving God and he would never punish anyone for their sin. Most couldn't understand how God is actually both. And the only way that would ever make sense is at the cross. God is, in fact, a holy, righteous, just God who hates sin and punishes sin. But the miracle of his love is that he just didn't punish you. His son took that away from you and buried all your sin in his tomb. And as he rose to new life on Easter, he gave you his new life to live in this world and an eternal life with him in heaven. Maybe Jesus, the master teacher and preacher, knew what he was talking about after all. Oh, sure, these words in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, they hurt. It stings to look in the mirror and see how often and how many ways I fall short of God's glory. But while Jesus is pointing out our sin with these very words, he's at the same time pointing to himself, the perfect solution and Savior to it all. And so when you and I understand that, we can listen to this sermon from a little bit different perspective. There doesn't need to be fear and shuddering and shame over all the things that we've done. We know the guilt is gone. The pressure is off. And so we hear these words of Jesus about the fifth commandment and sixth commandment and all the rest. And now there is a little bit of warm and fuzzy on the inside, a little Christian pep in the step because these are encouraging words, guidelines for how we can live our lives. We, th we start to think about how Christ lived and died for us and we start to have thoughts like, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, for thee. How can I work on my anger? How can I work on being more patient, pausing before I click send? How can I pursue purity in a world where nothing but dirtiness is thrown at us? How can my words be more honest and true and authentic and genuine? How can I go and love God more and love my neighbor more? Are you and I going to be perfect at this? Oh, of course not. But that's why we come back here week after week and we bring our sins to Jesus as we did today, confessing our sins and we receive the assurance that we're forgiven, a moment worthy of singing, glory to God in the highest. And we come to this meal and we lay our sins again at Jesus' feet and we receive his perfect body and blood to our lips and receive the good news, go at peace, your sins are forgiven. This is the life of a Christian. Every day, every week, back to Christ, back to the cross, back to his perfect love and then back out into the world to show it to other people. And so every day we walk with Christ by his strength renewed in the joy of his forgiveness and reinvigorated to go and show that love as salt and light in this world each day walking with Jesus until the day, that glorious day, when sin will finally be gone forever. What a day with Jesus in heaven. Oh, perfect? Yes, perfect.
Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.